Hey guys, this is Liz Kelly here to tell you about some changes to the Ringer Podcast Network. The Press Box with Brian Curtis and David Shoemaker is moving into its very own feed and will now be coming to you twice a week. So to keep up with the media's biggest news stories, from sports to politics to everything in between, subscribe to The Press Box on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and look for new episodes on Tuesdays and Fridays. Basketball is very good. Kevon Looney is a max player. The Lakers should hire Ernie Grunfeld. Kawhi should sign with the Warriors. Basketball is very good. Hello and welcome to the Ringer NBA show. This is Group Chat. I am Chris Ryan. I'm joined in the studio by Justin Verrier. We're here. And we are joined on the other line by Jonathan Charks. I'm honored. Two of the Ringer's head honchos. That's right. Podcast. Charks got me and Verrier in here at 9 a.m., yeah. Uh, that's not my prime take hour. Sharks, this is actually your performance review. <laughs> Sorry, we meant to tell you that. Um, John, you know, I haven't talked to you really at all about uh, the Durant stuff since it happened. So what we're going to do today, we're going to talk a little KD. We're going to talk a little finals. Since we have Sharks here, we're going to talk a little draft. And then Justin and I will kick around some free agency news and gossip to this for the second half of the show. But Sharks, um, I haven't really talked to you about the Durant thing and also just... You know, I, I think after the first night and the next day that has like kind of a funeral vibe to it because I, I think everybody is assuming the worst, which is with an Achilles, you you would. But people are starting to come back down to earth a little bit. Where, where's your head at with the Durant situation? I don't know. As a guy from Dallas, like I'll go way back with y'all. Like I remember, so this is the 2003 Western Conference Finals. So Dirk sprains his knee in like game one or two. And then Mark Cuban is like demanding Dirk play in like game four or five. And Don Nelson won't play him. He's like, look, Dirk's career is more important than this one series and this one championship. We're not going to risk it. He's going to be a matter for a long time. I'm just not going to play him. And that was ended up why uh, Cuban ended up firing Don Nelson a couple of years later. That was the start of it. And I just wonder if the Warriors knew Durant was going to stay long term. Is he playing? I don't know that he is. That's going to be, there's going to be so many questions that we're never really going to be able to answer. I think the one that's really rising to the top in terms of, people really knocking on doors about it is this idea that it seemed like Kerr was coaching from a position of, I've been told that he can't injure the Achilles, that it can't get worse. He might not be 100%, but I can't really damage this guy by playing because Tom Haberstroh published a piece yesterday on NBC that was basically like, kind of talking, A, about the relationship between a calf injury and an Achilles injury, but also brought up the idea that Durant played, I think, what, 12 straight minutes, right? It was like, like 12 of the first 14. Yeah. And that, and that when that, that, that even Clay and Draymond and Steph seemed to be on like a more normal resting pattern than, than Durant did. Yeah. He probably, he, he gripped the wheel a little too tightly. And like you're alluding to, just like the situation was probably so intense. Maybe like they lost track of the minutes. Maybe KD just wanted to go out there. There's so much unknown about this situation mm-hmm. that I feel like we're going to spend if not the next few weeks and the next probably months, like parsing through all these things. The cons- next 10 years. Yeah. No, I mean, you're right. right. It could be the next 10 years. We could be talking about four or five different franchises who have had their, of course, their trajectories changed by this. My big question going forward is, are we going to fill the space or specifically the Warriors? Are the Warriors going to fill the space with discord or is this going to bring them closer together? Yeah. I mean, we will. See, I, there was some talk on Twitter. I saw somebody was like, KD, if, they, if, he, if he's at all able, KD should like, walk out onto the floor at Oracle during game six to get like the proper thank you from the Oracle fans at the last game at Oracle. Um, it sounded like he was going to New York to, for, for doctor's appointments for his, to, to check up on the Achilles. Um, the way in which this is presented moving forward will be fascinating. Is this this thing that like is a galvanizing event for the Warriors that brings them closer together, that makes Durant feel more part of the team? He opts in in a week. They have... I don't know. I mean, like that, that all in and of itself is complicated because he's only going to opt in for another year. He's not going to sign an extension, I would imagine. Yeah, I think, I think it's a good point to, to ask Sharks about just like how perhaps this would like just affect the team on the court. Obviously, not having Durant, uh, that's a big hole to fill with a lot of guys that they don't necessarily like the, the, the difference between Durant and some of his backups, like the gap is so huge. So, Sharks, you wrote about Clay Thompson today. Uh, what are we expecting from him and perhaps the Warriors in order to have like a chance in this game six? I think to me, the swing point now is Boogie Cousins. Mm. 
I think if you look at those wins, game two and game five, those are good boogie games. You look at those game three, game four, game one, those are bad ones. To me, he's their only third option. He's their only big man who can shoot, only one who can make plays, only one who can create shots for himself and others. If he isn't out there, there's just no help for Steph and Clay, and they have to play perfect, basically. And then conversely, if he is out there, can Toronto exploit him enough on defense to get him out? I think that, to me, is the big turning point of Game 6. Do you think that Boogie's pretty much capped around 20 minutes? Like, is that is is that what he can give you? I, I feel like he got benched in favor of Durant and Looney in the beginning of the game, but then obviously played a lot more after Durant went down. I mean, he played 28 in Game 2 because yeah. Toronto wasn't attacking him on defense. I mean, if he can stay on the floor, they'd be love to have him out there, but I'm not sure that he can. Yeah, and I don't think they have the option anymore because we don't know what's going to happen with Looney. He no. pre- he's pretty much gutting through, like having one arm. Right. I mean, they've they. It'll be like Looney's out for the series, and then Looney will say afterwards, like, "I'm I'm going to gut it out. I'm going to do it. I'm going to get out there if I can." I mean, I guess Jordan Bell. That's the other guy. <laughs> yeah, but as we that's saw what the last we're talking game, about. yeah, uh, I don't that's know. What's come to? I mean, pretty much they're down to just whoever's available. Yeah. I mean, if Alfonso McKinney could theoretically play like 30 minutes in this game, it's it's going to be. Quite a scene because you know that it's going to be a supercharged atmosphere in Oracle. I don't know that a lot of those fans thought that they were going to get another chance to see that team in in this in that building. But on the other hand, you can only imagine the gamut of emotions that the Warriors have kind of been through since Monday night after an exhausting war of a game uh, on Monday, and then two straight days of nonstop speculation and, and answering questions and thinking about what happened that night in the second quarter with Durant. Um, Charks, what else do you see in terms of game six stuff? What's the key for the Raptors? Do you think it's Siakam who, like Boogie, has played well in their wins and poorly in their losses? Yeah, I think so. Because like Siakam is the guy they're going to help off of if you're, if you're Golden State, right? Like Any play that happens if he's on the ball... He's the guy you're leaving open. If Siakam knocks down like two or three threes, then there's just nowhere to there's nowhere to leave open. They're really out, out of options. Yeah, it, it's funny that the Raptors, a team who has whittles its rotation down to seven at times, maybe even eight guys, uh, is the deeper team. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just seems like they're just solid throughout that, and that's enough against a Warriors team that's like uh, just spotty. You're counting on a Quinn Cook to give you like consistent minutes, and it's just. The Warriors are going to be riding lightning like they have the past few games where they're just hoping that their two all-star shooting guards, essentially, yeah. are going to be able to score 30 or so, and they'll get enough from those auxiliary guys. Yeah, this was the question over the over the course of the... Ever since Durant went down, when the, when this Raptors... Once they got past Houston and this Raptors... And they they you know they waltzed through the, the finals, but I think everybody has always been trying to do the math. How did the Warriors get to 100? And with Durant, it, it it gets there pretty easily. Uh, but you start asking for points from places that you don't normally get it. And they didn't get much from Iguodala on Monday. They didn't really get a ton from from Draymond, I don't think. You know, 14 from Cousins really is a big thing. If, if Boogie can get up to 20, this is a different ballgame. And then you start getting some voices in the back of your head if you're Toronto. Yeah, and I, I, I just look at the Boogie Cousins signing. Mm-hmm. I've been harping on this a little bit, but I, I feel like it's come to bear this uh, this postseason in this finals in particular. I understand why they went out and signed Boogie for the price. It was it was just just a bargain deal, and it seemed at that point, after winning two straight finals, they were more concerned about having the proper motivation to get them back there in the first place. But looking back on it, it just feels like such a hubristic move to go out and sign another All Star. And a center specifically, when you have so many centers on the roster, your roster was already thin on the wings. Iguodala was hurt last postseason and looked washed. Uh, and some of the other guys were hurt. Steph was hurt. And like we went through this all last season where they just didn't have the proper depth to support him. To not go out there and divert that money toward the wing, as weird as it is to say that a team with so many Hall of Famers can come down to some of these fringe moves, Like I think those things add up, specifically because your options and your means for filling out the rosters are so precious. Is there a guy that you thought that they should have gone after that was out there? I said Wayne Ellington in my piece in Ooh, August. That'd be nice. He'd get a lot of points in that team. I got the Sharks approval. That's all I wanted there. Uh, I think he ended up signing for, if not... I really, really want you to write like a 3,000-word a column <laughs> that's like... The warrior, like Durant, isn't to blame for the Warriors. It's the lack of signing Wayne Ellington. I've got, I've got an even more obscure 
Let's How do- about if they had just benched Damian Jones for the playoffs and activated Damian Lee? That there gives you go. another wing who can shoot. The forgotten Curry. Steph Curry's brother-in-law. <laughs> yeah. Six six guy who can shoot threes. It'd be nice to have him instead of another big man who can't play. That's the thing. This roster is just so top, or not top heavy, but is so full of just bigs because for a while they were just rolling the dice on whatever guy they can get in order to fill those five minutes. Looney eventually stepped up as, as like the perfect guy for that re- lineup, but they just have tried the Damian Joneses of the world, the JaVale McGee's and some of these other guys so that even the Dronus Jarebko, like if he can't give you minutes in this series, that's, that's kind of a failure. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of hilarious. Like, who was the best five they played in these playoffs? Probably Marcus All, right? Yeah, probably. Like, you've got to stock up bigs to guard Marcus All at the three point line. It's just crazy. Trucks, have you enjoyed this finals? Oh, it's been up and down. I mean, five was in, five was entertaining, but it's been a pretty brutal finals, all things considered, level of play, I feel like. I don't know. I've been really interested in this. I don't know if it's just because there's so much to be drawn from the result of this finals. And it feels like every game hinges, like it, it has a way to ripple into the summer and perhaps the rest of the league. Like mm-hmm. we're constantly following the Kawhi and the KD thing. And maybe I'm just like so entranced by the Raptors and the fact that they've been able to do this and they're they're like looking like they're going to win this. To me, that's like, that's like a one of one every five to six year story. We haven't seen anything like this since the Spurs did it with Kawhi yeah. against the Heat. yeah. And even, okay, Justin, uh, honest question though, like, it, does every game matter like that or are we just creating content, right? Well, that's, <sighs> I, what, I mean, that's a good question. I, there's something about, you know, the finals are, I don't know whether I would like enjoy it more if it was, there was a little bit more of a national title game atmosphere to it. I, I don't know that we would necessarily um, feel like that was a fair uh, way of deciding the champion. Basketball's probably pretty fair, although the war of attrition that we're seeing throughout these playoffs makes me feel like we're not really getting the best possible product at the most important time of the year, you know, whereas um, I think other sports strive to to create that kind of environment in some ways. But I think the thing is that with this finals is the highs have been super high. The Kawhi going nuts during the fourth quarter there before Nick Nurse <laughs> threw, threw the cooler timeout on him was was about as good as basketball can get. Yeah, and it's it's weird for me to to make the argument that it hasn't been fun coming off of the most recent game, which is potentially like a finals classic. Mm-hmm. Like so many things happened, and while it was chaotic, and I think some people can read chaotic as just sloppy, and there certainly was a ton of that, especially toward the end. But like we got so many dramatic moments, and I think the only thing I'm looking for in terms of just like an entertainment value is drama. And like this series has had more of that than I can remember in a very long time, especially comparison to. The, the most recent Cavs Warriors finals. Like, do we, yeah. would we prefer just like one team getting blown off the court completely? No, not at all. I would say the 2017 finals, though, they were five games. Those were five really well played games. It was like 135, yeah. 130. You had like the great game four for Cleveland, Katie in game three. I don't know. Like, I feel like in terms of pure basketball, 2017 was pretty fun, even though it was a short series. Probably. And we are seeing more guys like McKinney, Cook, and all those sorts of things. And I think that has a trickle down effect. But, I don't know. I've, I've been engaged by by what we've been seeing. Yeah, no, me. I, I've been engaged as well. There, I think that uh, I think Fantasy actually was talking about this. He's like, there, there was a point during Game Five that were, was like, oh, this is kind of what this finals is supposed to be, and it was when Durant was playing. It was this kind of like real heavyweight boxing match that felt like there were three or four great players on both sides of the ball, and and, and on each possession was highly contested, really smart, really good. There's a little bit when it's all Splash Brothers, it feels a little like two varsity guys playing with three JV guys sometimes. Mm-hmm. I guess the worry there would be if Durant was in these games, would it just be like last year's finals? Mm-hmm. Is that just like such an advantage that they would just blow? The I was mentally the prepared for that though. I think we all were, <laughs> yeah. and perhaps that's it. I think if you, I think we all say going into a season that preseason expectations don't matter. But what were we talking about the Bucks up until like two series ago? That like they were. Playing beyond to, yeah. their years. The, I, the expectation sets the bar for almost like your your entertainment value. And so for the Raptors to exceed that, I don't know. It, it, it's just been really shocking to me. And like, this is a league where we don't get a lot of shocking results. And we'll look back five years from now and say, perhaps this Raptors title team is is a total outlier in the history of the NBA. Well, I guess that depends on what with Kawhi, right? How, he, how his free agency determines. If he comes back, maybe they're like a team that was the next two or three finals. Who knows? That's an interesting one. 
And I think it's particularly interesting in the context of Kevin Durant, because I do wonder how Durant, while it's sad to see him go out the way he did, the way that this ripples into the rest of free agency and the rest of the league, I think is going to be fascinating. Something Chris and I talked about on a video project yesterday was just, I think it's going to affect a lot of teams, but I also wonder if Kawhi ends up staying. Charks, what do you think about the Raptors being the dark horse team that goes after Anthony Davis? I've been saying they should do that all season. Yeah. I think I'd make a ton of sense in the world. I mean, go big or go home, right? If you have Kawhi and Anthony Davis, because I'm thinking from Kawhi's perspective, like the board's kind of cleared right now. LeBron's, what, 35 Mm -hmm. and playing on a bad team. Durant's out for at least this year, probably two years before he's healthy again. And Kawhi's 27, 28. Like, if I'm Kawhi, you win this year. I got two titles. If I can get anything from my team, I can just think about getting three, four, five championships, going after Michael Jordan. Yeah. Like, the floor is open for him right now. The league is totally available for Kawhi to just dominate. And if, and if you're the Raptors, you go all in on that trade because you'll never get back to this point ever again, probably. Right. I mean, we're talking about them potentially pairing on a team like the Knicks. And if they can just get over the fact that they'll have to like pour their milk out of bags, mm-hmm. like that situation has shown that like it has the infrastructure to perhaps add the guys on the fringes in order to fill out a rotation. And they already probably have some guys left over. I mean, the the bulk of this potential title team that we're seeing right now is primarily veterans in Kawhi and some fringe guys. I, yeah. I feel like you could recreate a situation even if you give up a Siakam and OG, some of these other guys, in order to get an AD, I think you could still put together a title contender over the next couple See, of years. See, though really, it's not really the Raptors' call, is it? It's Kawhi's call. Yeah. Right? They, they, they say, Kawhi, what do you want? And I feel like when you're at Kawhi's level, like, okay, the basketball stuff is done. Everyone knows you're a great player. Now can you be a great GM? Can you be like the next <laughs> LeBron? Can you build a team? Because that's the challenge at that level of the game. It's not being a great player. It's finding the right teammates, identifying the right players, et cetera. The question is, is Uncle Dennis Rich Paul caliber <laughs> in terms of, of being the, like, the behind-the-scenes guy? Right. I don't know about that. Yeah. Test your whole, your whole infrastructure. Who knows? I, I, and this is what's so fascinating, that we talk about all these possible machinations, all these ripple effects, but it's ultimately going to come down to what these guys want. Yeah. And I think that's particularly interesting when we talk about Durant. Like, how does this affect like what his priorities are? And from there, I think everything else falls in line. It's one of the most unique situations I think I can remember in professional sports, especially in any kind of transactions of professional sports, where um, teams are going to be offering Kevin Durant a contract that he's only going to be really able to fulfill half of. You know, if they offer him a four-year deal and he misses next season, and then he spends the following season kind of getting back to playing shape or whatever his next his new median is. Mm-hmm. You're essentially talking about two years of a guy in his early 30s, still mid early mid-30s, and you don't know necessarily how high he can reach, but as we've been discussing for days in the office, Kevin Durant with 10% less ability is still pretty good. Yeah, and I, I think we might, the next time we see Durant, he could potentially be in his LeBron phase, which mm-hmm. is sad to say, considering that we've seen him most recently, just like completely dominate the league and in particular dominate the finals. But I think Charks, you would agree that like he's probably going to have to change some things about his game going forward. I mean, I think, I mean, even like, let's say he hadn't got hurt. He'd have been in his early 30s. He had a ton of miles on his body. He'd have been slowing down eventually. So yeah, I think this only accelerates the evolution of his game. And the nice thing for Durant, I think compared to most players who've got this injury, is Durant has multiple outs from here, right? Like, a slower version of Durant's a different kind of player, but he's still seven feet tall. He's still a great shooter. So even if you're a slower seven-foot guy who can shoot and you can play defense, maybe Durant bulks up and plays four and five consistently now. Like he has ways to get better despite the not better, but different despite the injury. Yeah. And I mean he's always going to be able to shoot. So he'll always have a place. It's just fascinating to see. I mean, one thing we've been talking about just around the office is just for a while, he was playing on essentially the biggest bargain contract mm-hmm. in the league, a Hall of Famer on a max deal. Like that's like his value supersedes even that. I do wonder, like, if he is just an all star, like what that means, especially for a team like the Knicks. Like, if you, your whole game plan was to surround Kevin Durant, if like you couldn't end up getting uh, Kyrie Irving, who seems like he's destined for Brooklyn at this point. Mm-hmm. 
how do you go about that? Because Durant was, there's a certainty with a player of Durant's caliber and that no longer exists. And I think that's what we're going to have to see play out. I mean, I think they're trained for Anthony Davis, right? That'd be the plan if they get Durant. Well, there was a report, I think for me and Begley, that like they might waffle on that. Now, waffle on trading for Davis? Yeah, and so perhaps that's just posturing because now we're starting to see teams back off to suggest that like they won't give the farm in order to, to trade for Davis. I also just think there's going to be a schism inside the Knicks to the extent that they're not on the same page. I just think we're going to hear more and more about like the Knicks are all go with the plan that they've always had, which is to offer Kevin Durant the max and sell him on reviving basketball at the garden. And then there's going to be a couple of people inside that building that are like, we should not do this. Yeah, specifically the report was there. some are comparing the Davis deal to Car- Carmel Anthony deal, where it's like, just don't give up enough. Now, different players <laughs> in, in terms of quality, just yeah. a little bit. But I, I could see the thinking where if you've completely mortgaged your future for one guy and nothing else, like, does it not bring up the same sort of anxieties that perhaps the Nets are feeling right now, giving up a first round pick in their first possible opportunity? Hey, Sharks, before we let you go, I wanted to ask you a little bit about um, a topic near and dear to your heart, which is the new Memphis Grizzlies coach. St. Mark's legend, Taylor Jenkins. <laughs> Break it down for our <laughs> listeners, Sharks. What's the connection? So uh, he was a senior at St. Mark's when I was a sophomore. I was on the JV. He this is a varsity. legendary Dallas basketball factory. Am I right? <laughs> hey, two-time SBC champion. Have Put some respect on that, man. <laughs> and what were you? Were you like kind of like a... You know, like a, a, a toolsy Udonis Haslam type guy for them, or what, what's your what's your what's your makeup? I was like, a, we were both actually the same position. We were Ooh. both kind of like uh, high post fours, so we ran a pretty like traditional two post offense. We had some ballers, man. A so traditional year, two post offense. Yeah, Taylor's year, we had a six six guy to go to UNC for football, and then when I was up there, we had a six guy to go to Colgate. And a six nine guy go to Air Force. So you were just killing people. Wow. Post up, post Colgate up, post up. Air Force. There you go. Yeah. Okay. So you and Taylor Jenkins play ball together. Now Taylor Jenkins is moving from Mike Buttonholzer's bench on Milwaukee to uh, Memphis. Uh, what can Got you, a great job, man. Can you he tell us anything about him? You guys stay in touch on Facebook groups or anything? <laughs> I actually saw him at Summer League like last year. We okay. caught up for a while. Um, I think he's going to run the same kind of stuff Bud ran, right? That's what he sold himself as. Like, I'm going to go to Memphis. We're going to modernize. We're going to shoot threes. We're going to play Jaron at the five. John Moran at the one. Like, talk about a good job for a young coach. Low expectations, small market, not a lot of media. Two young building cornerstone players. You can have three, four, five years there, get a good playoff thing going, and then you've got a good reputation going forward. Like this is, I mean, it's an ideal job. He really lucked out. I guess the one thing I'm curious about is what it means for Mike Conley. Like it seems like this guy's forte is player development, and he's on the younger side. So you'd want you'd assume that they're probably going to lean into sort of a, a rebuilding situation. So I do wonder this ultimately means John Moran is in, and perhaps Conley goes. I can't see Conley wanting to stay. I mean, he's older than Taylor Jenkins, probably the same age. That's insane. And then he's playing with two 19-year-olds while his his good friend Marcus Saul might have won a championship. He's probably going to go play somewhere else, I would think. It seems like, uh, you know, you just mentioned Morant. It seems like the top three is starting to solidify a little bit with, obviously, Zion 1 to New Orleans, Ja to Memphis, RJ to New York. And then it seems also like the consensus is Garland is moved up into four for the Lakers. Would you agree with all that? Uh, I mean, not really. Okay. Uh, I think for me, Jaw and uh, Zion have separated themselves. I'm not a big RJ guy. I get why people like him, but I'm not a I'm not a huge on him. And I think for sure Garland at four is a total unknown. If you go back and look at the drafts, like after the top two picks in most drafts, like no one really knows who number three and four are. Like, how often do the top four players in the draft for the top four picks? Pretty much never, right? Yeah. Well, also, this is a draft in which the third pick, the fourth pick, you know, uh, possibly you could see the sixth pick from Phoenix, the seventh pick from Chicago. Uh, you could never, I, I assume Atlanta's just going to go full. We have we have the AAU team here and keep all their first round picks that they. Uh, I, I think they might be trading up. Okay, so so give me give me like three. a a hypothetical one that or like a one give me a possible way Atlanta can mess around here. I think Atlanta. My my guess would be Atlanta wants Cam Reddish. He kind of fits the mold they've been drafting. He's a big shooter, uh, two position defender. Then you have him and Herder out the wings. So I think they try to package seven and seventeen. 
maybe one of their seconds went up to like four or five. For Reddish? Sure they get cam- I think they want to make sure they get them. I mean, eight's a long way down. So would they keep eight? I think they move. I mean, like if they stayed at eight, they might not get them. So they move eight to go up to like four or five to get Reddish. Okay. Charks, every draft you have a guy. Uh, last year, I believe it was Shea Gildress Alexander. And that one turned I, out to be pretty right. And I think you had OG the, a couple years ago, right? Yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> <laughs> I said play the guys who don't work, but we don't count those. No, we no, no. We, we forget the things that are wrong. Yeah, we, we exactly. Only, yeah. Play the hits, man. <laughs> so who's your guy this year? Have, have you settled uh, on think, anyone yet? Yeah, I think Brandon Clark, uh, the Gonzaga guy. So he was a transfer San Jose State. He was like a 22-year-old junior, 6'8", 215, He's probably the second best athlete in the draft after Zion. Just freakish athletic ability. And he had like three blocks a game, two steals, shot like 70% from the field. I think I see him as like the, as a small ball four, small ball five. To me, he's got some uh, Sean Marion in this game. Ooh, That's I like that. Guy. Even though he is a little bit older. He is. That doesn't concern you at all? I, th- I think with him, when you're that athletic, I think the normal kind of... Uh, progressions don't really apply because Brandon Clark walks into the league as a top 10 athlete in the league. Hmm. And then if you look at what's interesting about Brandon Clark, if you go back to his San Jose State days, he had the worst jumps I ever seen in my life. And so like, it really, it was like from behind his head, like watch his film. It's incredibly bad. So he takes the year off. He redshirts to Gonzaga. He rebuilds his shot and he actually shot really well this year from like 15 feet. So to me, his shooting potential is still pretty high because he's successfully rebuilt his shot. So I think he has upside that most older guys don't have, given that shooting potential and his athletic ability. You have a piece, or a sort of mini piece, in uh, our NBA Draft Guide, which people can find at nbadraft.theringer.com. It's an incredible resource. Are you still as high on Kobe White as you were when you kind of wrote that this guy could be the best point guard in the draft? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think with White, it's more like you're trying to find more guys and you're kind of reaching a bit. And you're like, oh, maybe this guy will work out. I think with White, like these couple baselines, a 6'5 point guard, a really good shooter. I mean, a 6'5 guy who's a plus athlete and who shoots more threes than twos, that to me is an interesting player going forward. I think he's very raw, but he's a developing passer. He's probably two, three years away. But if I was in a gamble on a point guard out after Jaw, I'd probably take Kobe White over Darius Garland. What about you? You got any more draft questions? There's a decided lack of Huskies in here. I know that. Uh, <laughs> it's been a, a, a some, bleak few years. Yeah, it hasn't been good. There's some thick boys, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Uh, what happened to Kevin Ollie? Is he in the basketball anymore? Yeah, what's going on with him? I, I follow him on Instagram. Is and he he's selling just, real estate? <laughs> he's just hanging out with his kids. He's going to graduations, it seems like, once a week. Okay. <laughs> uh, it seems like he has a nice life. I, think I guess he's, he's still in like, money litigation. Econ, with, right? They're trying to like take his money or something. Yeah, I think like he's still probably tied up in the courts because he tried to push back on, on the firing and, and him not getting his money. So I, I think he has other concerns at the moment. Yeah. All right, Sharks, thanks so much for joining us, man. Uh, I think you'll probably be on a bunch of draft pods in the coming days, I would imagine, as we get into draft season next week. Uh, obviously, people can read John on The Ringer very frequently, and you'll you'll definitely hear from him after game six in some capacities. Sharks, thanks so much for hollering. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Bye, buddy. Today's episode of the Ringer NBA show is brought to you by Belvedere, part of a 600-year Polish vodka-making tradition. Belvedere vodka is all-natural and made with 100% non-GMO Polska rye and pristine water. Belvedere has championed Polska rye vodka and superior natural ingredients since its inception and continues their mission with its new Belvedere Single Estate Rye Series. These award-winning vodkas, Smogori Forest and Lake Bartoszek, two of my faves, are two distinct-tasting vodkas born from unique terroir and expert craftsmanship. I'm glad I paid attention to all the wine tastings my wife has made me go to because now I know how to say terroir. Terroir? There's no way I'd be able to say that. Smorgori Forest is crafted from rye cultivated on a single estate deep in the vast woodlands of western Poland, where long summers and a pristine environment help develop a bold, robust, savory vodka. Lake Bartoszek is crafted from rye cultivated on the shores of a glacial lake in northern Poland's Lake District. Let me get over there where long, snowy winters create a fresh, crisp, and delicate vodka. Let me tell you something. When I think about these Belvedere Single Estate Rye Vodkas, you know what I think about? What's that? Masai Ujiri. Oh. And the craftsmanship 
that he applied to building this Raptors roster. That is woodworking skills. And that's what we just spent the entire podcast talking about. It's just like how this guy has just changed the paradigm of how you build a team that you can do anything. Yeah, he's a master. As long as you pay attention to details. Yeah. Taste the difference and enjoy Belvedere's new single estate rye vodkas on the rocks or in a delicious cocktail today. Belvedere is a quality choice. Drinking responsibly is too. Today's episode of the Ringer NBA show is brought to you by Eight Sleep. Do you know what the worst sound in the world is? It's your alarm clock if you haven't got enough sleep. Now imagine this scenario. The surface temperature of your bed gradually adjusts to wake you up gently and naturally without the sound of the alarm. This is the new pod by Eight Sleep, a high-tech bed designed specifically to help you achieve optimal sleep fitness. There's a reason Time Magazine calls Eight one of the best inventions of the year. It combines dynamic temperature regulation and sleep tracking to learn your sleep habits and adjust the temperature automatically, thus enhancing your rest and your recovery. That means if you like the bed cool and your partner likes the bed warm, you can have both in a crazy comfortable bed. Try the pod for 100 nights, and if you don't love it, they'll refund your purchase and arrange for a free pickup. They already sold out of their first two batches, so they're going fast. For a limited time, get $150 off your purchase when you go to 8sleep.com slash NBA. That's E-I-G-H-T-S-L-E-E-P dot com slash NBA. That's $150 off and free shipping at 8sleep.com slash NBA. Ferrier and I are back. Um, but this is basically the Anthony Davis show now. Yeah, we we saved Charks from the tinfoil. Well, that he was, we're about we, to we still did trade Anthony Davis to Toronto in the course of twenty <laughs> minutes. So uh, that that's fun. The reason why I want to talk about Anthony Davis today is um, we talked a little bit about this with Charks, but Durant obviously has a huge impact on the free agency landscape. Uh, not only is it going to affect probably. Uh, what happens with Kyrie, even though, as we are recording this, it sounds like uh, apparently Kyrie is um, opting out of his last year on his deal, as was expected with the Celtics. Sure. All all the indications that, you know, you can find on Twitter, but also like Justin and I have heard is it just sounds like Kyrie and Brooklyn have, have really found each other, which yeah. is... Just a great thing when when two place, two people can, can lock in like that. <laughs> I personally... Um, I'm pretty skeptical of the Kyrie Irving effect right now for an NBA team. I don't know necessarily that he will destroy Brooklyn, although he certainly did Boston. Uh, and I'm just not really clear on what he really gives Brooklyn, honestly. Like, I don't really know what he does for them. I think, the obviously, with that Atlanta trade, they are anticipating also adding another player with him. The idea, I think, was Durant. Yeah. Uh, they may still offer him, but it will be a very, very interesting summer for Brooklyn. It'll be a very interesting summer for Anthony Davis as well. Yeah, I think it's particularly interesting considering that they made a trade in which they got rid of two future first-round picks, one of which was this summer, which was the first one they got post-Celtics disaster. And the next week, Kevin Durant is now probably off the table, or at the very least, if they sign him, it's a lot more complicated. So Yeah, because especially when you consider the fact that the amount of lower body injuries Kyrie's had over the years and Kyrie getting older, you're talking about if you sign Kyrie to a four-year deal and you sign Durant to a four-year deal, you're basically matching them up on the second half of those four-year deals, right? Yeah, and on top of that, if you commit to Kyrie, you're saying goodbye to D'Angelo Russell. So on the one hand, you have Kyrie potentially in hand, or at least least that's what all the tea leaves are pointing Mm -hmm. toward. But like everything else is in flux here. So it seems like they're really going out on a limb in order to build a new reality based around Kyrie. I just think Masai got in everybody's head. I just think that the idea... I'm interested in Brooklyn and I'm really interested in Atlanta because Atlanta is another team that I think, like Brooklyn, has started building the right way. Now, the right way might not ultimately lead to a championship, but you see okay, we're just going to put together really good young players. We're going to give them minutes. We're going to develop them. We're going to get a coach who's like eyes on development. It's the same thing the Sixers do with Brett Brown. They're doing it with with Lloyd down in Atlanta. They do it with Kenny in Brooklyn where it's just like, we're going to make D'Angelo Russell and Karis LeVert and these guys better every season. Mm-hmm. And then Masai comes through and blows up his team and puts together a finals contender, if not likely winner, with Marc Gasol and Kawhi Leonard 
and is now also in position to make some wild move next this offseason to even double down on that run. And you know what? Like, no one's going to care about a five-year plan. Like, if Toronto is completely screwed throughout the 2020s, no one's going to care if they win two titles before that. Right, and I think that's really interesting going into this next offseason because if you look at the recent history of which teams end up trading for these stars that are dangling, that are disgruntled, yeah. it hasn't been the ones who have carefully, meticulously, like, crafted this super team. Like, so we all thought that it would have been a good idea for the Sixers to go after Kawhi Leonard. They mm-hmm. didn't get him. Uh, Paul George didn't go to the Lakers, a team that's been, air quotes, rebuilding for a very long time. Yeah. He went to the Thunder for a much more reasonable package of, like, established young veterans. And, and stunningly re-signed there. Kawhi Leonard goes to the Raptors. It, it really has come down to not the team that has taken the long approach and has stacked assets, but it's really, the advantage has been the team that's bold. Even the Pelicans trading for DeMarcus Cousins. Yeah. Like, nobody saw that coming, and the package at the time, we thought, wasn't to the level of what you could expect for a talent of Cousins. So I think... uh in addition to some of the other things that are going on, the fact that some of the prices perhaps could be coming down for a Davis as like some of the uh, presumed buyers perhaps might fall off. Maybe the Celtics don't put Jason Tatum on the table now that Kyrie seems like he's gone. Um, maybe the team that just like says, well, fuck it, let's, let's just give this a try. Maybe that's actually the advantage on this market. Speaking of the Celtics, there is a giant Rich Paul feature in Sports Illustrated that went up today yeah, by S.L. Price, uh, a behind-the-scenes look at LeBron James's agent at Clutch Sports's, the head of Clutch Sports. And it goes into detail about everything that Rich Paul's been involved with over the course of the last couple of years, including LeBron James going back to Cleveland, uh, which it sounds like Rich was the person who orchestrated that in a lot of ways and that there was a lot of resistance between uh, among LeBron and his inner circle to doing that. And Rich is the one who brokered the piece, not only with Dan Gilbert, but set it up specifically to maximize LeBron's value over the several years there uh, and also get Clay, uh, Tristan Thompson and J.R. Smith paid while that was happening because mm. you had to kind of constantly re-up the entire LeBron infrastructure every year. Mm. Uh, you know, and and then LeBron moves to the Lakers, and Rich has obviously worked very closely with Rob Polinka there. Um, he's also Anthony Davis's agent. Boston was presumed to be one of the front runners for Anthony Davis's services because they could put together the best possible package. This is a two-part conversation I want to have with you. Here's the quote from Rich Paul about Boston. After earlier in the year, uh, it was reported that Davis's father threw some cold water on the idea of Boston trading for AD. Rich. Quote, they can trade for him, but it'll be for one year. I mean, if the Celtics traded for Anthony Davis, we would go there and we would abide by our contractual obligations and we would go into free agency in 2020. I've stated that to them. But in the event that he decides to walk away and you give away assets, don't blame Rich Paul. So this is really interesting, also in relationship to what Justin was just saying, because no team has been more patient than the Celtics in a lot of ways. And even in getting Kyrie Irving, in the long run, as distasteful as it might have been to trade Isaiah Thomas, they didn't give up a lot for him, right? And they've been sitting on all these assets and they've got all these young guys who have gone through various waves of appreciation and depreciation of their value. And now, the Celtics have three first-round picks this year. They don't want three rookies coming in, according to Woj, who went on uh, the ESPN draft show and said that, that they have no intention of having three rookies unproven talents on their team. And furthermore, the Kyrie, Hayward, Horford, let's surround like proven all-stars with young guys has done nothing but make Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum seem a little bit more volatile as, as like commodities. You know what I mean? Like you're, they're not, it's Jason Tatum went from the next Kobe to, is this the next like Rudy Gay? You know, we're not really sure what this guy is. Um, That's the dark side of holding on to your, to your powder for too long, right? Right. Yeah. I, I also just wonder how much of all of this, both from the Celtic side and from the Rich Paul side, is just posturing. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, and Paul works for Anthony Davis. And while Davis, everything that we've heard from him, because he doesn't speak all that often, especially lately, 
is that like he wants to go to the Lakers in the Knicks, yada, yada, yada. But like if he gets into the Celtic situation and he deems that he likes it, like there's nothing Rich Paul could ultimately do. He works for Davis and thus would have to uh, like help him sign whatever deal he wants to sign. Yes. But on the Celtics side, you probably want to get it out there that you aren't going to go that route that like, you don't need to worry about Davis. You'll, you'll be fine regardless. And so I, they tried that a little bit. They started, started talking about how they want to build around Brown and Tatum. That was, that was, that came out. Um, that seems like the most prudent path. Yeah. Would you try to trade Hayward? Uh, I think, I don't think Hayward is consequential at the moment. I think trading him at the, the lowest part of his value, which is probably right now wouldn't be wise. Like, why wouldn't you just, if you can't utilize how big of a deal he is in order to like match salaries, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know why you would trade him at this point. Just wonder I, if there's going to be a team out there who gets duck duck goosed mm-hmm. and is then sort of like, hey, we'll take Gordon Hayward, like a Pacers. It could be, or perhaps they need to clear space. Yeah, Hayward has enough potential. And you could sell other teams on like, well, that was just the injury he needed a year to get back. He'll be better for you. Right. And so perhaps like a team like the Heat, who's just been thirsting for a superstar forever in Hayward, I believe either talked to them or the Heat had a lot of interest in Hayward when he was a free agent. Sure. Uh, maybe that sort of situation would work. I guess the one thing I would say is even though the Celtics have found themselves in a situation where they might be a prisoner of their own making – they still have a ton of options. Absolutely. Yeah, they probably don't, we don't know what they're going to be. And in the past, they've definitely messaged that they've they've like tried and failed to get, like to put those assets to work. And then in a weird way, that's coming back to haunt them. Yeah, they've also got a completely different situation where Danny Ainge has the most job security in the league. And And, not only most job security, the least job volatility. Because unlike Masai or Bob Myers, there's no rumors swirling around Danny Ainge that he's going to go take over the Wizards. Yeah. Or he's going to go take over the Lakers. So they have options. Yeah. Unlike Adele Demps, who had to make certain moves in order to save his job. It seemed like year to year that was the case. Like, the Celtics can kind of be whatever they want. And if I'm them and, like, no, like, blockbuster trade presents itself, what's the problem of just, like, leaning into Tatum and Brown for another year, waiting for that Grizzlies draft pick, and just, like, kind of going ahead and being a pretty good team? Yeah, and you never know what could happen. You never know if that team clicks again. You never know how good they could be like they were two years ago. Yeah. Um, other Davis stuff from the SL Price piece, there's some good stuff about um, the way in which that the trade request became pub- became public in the first place which is essentially, it sounds like it got leaked by Demps and that Woj called Paul for confirmation. Hmm. Um, and that's how Paul wound up making his statement, being like, yep, he wants to be traded. Um, and that, Or rather that Demps went to Davis himself and never got back to Paul. And then Woj contacted him and Paul was like, he, Woj caught, called me to to confirm Davis's demands, and I was like, "This is crazy! I have to go public now." Well, he uh, also he also didn't need to go on the record, which I believe he got sure, fined he for. Sure, he could have said no comment. Yeah, yeah, and I do wonder, and this is just a small part of this entire thing. Like, can he not get fined for this as well? Yeah, I know. I mean, <laughs> so, he doesn't seem to think so. Also, I would say that the description of Anthony Davis building a house in Westlake in Los Angeles and also needing to buy some place closer to downtown. <laughs> would not inspire a lot of confidence in anybody outside of Los Angeles that Davis is going to stay there past next season. Yeah, that's a hike. I mean, all of the, that's what all of the Lakers and the Clippers do. Yeah. They all stay in the LA Live, whatever that is. That's the, the, the Kobe spot. Yeah, the yeah. Kobe spot. And I think LeBron has one too. Um, so yeah, that's where we're at. There's been some talk about three-team trades, about needing other teams to be involved. We talked on our Kevin Durant Ripple Effects video that you can find on ringer.com and on YouTube. Justin and I talked about the idea that we broached with Sharks as well of the Raptors getting involved, of that being part of a three-team trade for Davis. And, and no matter what happens, it's just going to be such a fascinating next couple of weeks because Griff is saying all the right things in New Orleans. He's making all the right moves. He's hiring Swin Cash and hiring the Suns doctor and hiring Trajan Langdon. And it's just like everything is like, we're a top-notch organization, best in class. Like he's doing a really good job selling the franchise. Yeah. Can I... I, can I- jump in real quick sure swing cash fell husky uh i saw on twitter the other day she was like man you guys told me all about these restaurants but you did not tell me about this humidity and i was like <laughs> man 
literally me two years ago. <laughs> right. Because you're just like, so my life is sweating and eating beignets. <laughs> it's it's brutal. There are a lot of good things about New Orleans, but good God, the humidity is What's the thing you miss oppressive. the most? Is it the food? Probably, but I don't miss like what it did to like my my heart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's there's a lot of good stuff. Um, is there anything you're you're the Davis whisperer? So what what do you, what do you think? <laughs> How did of, I get here? What do you make of all this stuff? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I, this all feels like a lot of prelude to me. We still don't know much of anything. Woj had a had a pretty thorough uh, uh, newser that kind of encapsulated where everything is, and I thought there was a, there are a few good nuggets in there. One of which suggested, as we mentioned before, that like perhaps the Celtics are more on the fringes of this at this point. Now that could change just as simply as like tomorrow or while we're talking. If Danny Ace just picks up the phone and it's just like, "Hey, how about Jason Tatum?" Uh, it just it doesn't seem. I think we're still in the waiting period. I think that they're based on no information whatsoever. I just think there's a real chance that Griffin really wants Davis to to start the season with Zion and just be like, "Let's see." Like, I want everybody involved in this situation to see what it could be. Yeah, I would too. Because if you look at the other guys they're going to trade for, nothing is going to come remotely close to the value of Davis. Yeah. I think we forget that. Like, he's probably a top five player, if not maybe even top three, if he is fully healthy and engaged and actually playing and not leaving And I, I do think that that Lakers deal will be there in February. Probably will. They just don't have many other options. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing here. I think we're going to get down to a situation where uh, things are changing. Like, just the Brooklyn trade that happened the other week, that changes the dynamics of who is motivated in order to do this. Uh, and I think ultimately, like, the Pelicans are kind of banking on a team like the Lakers always being there for them. Yeah. And that's a risky move, but as we're seeing, like, there was a report the other day, it's just like, the the Lakers want to act quicker on the Davis front, specifically because they need something to lure another free agent. Yeah. So, you're really, uh, it really is coming down to the summer, perhaps, the desperation of the Lakers. Which is a weird place to be in for everybody. And the Knicks and so many other teams. That's the thing is that we're going to find out now, especially with, and this is the thing that Justin and I talked about in the video a lot, is why if Durant is injured and if Durant becomes a much longer conversation between GM and owner about dedicating four years to to him, what does that mean for the guys that were beneath Durant in the pecking order of free agency? What does it mean for Jimmy? What does it mean for Tobias? What does it mean for Clay? What does it mean down and down the line? And does everybody jump up a notch in terms of you're now in first position? We're now going to pitch everything we've got at Kemba. We're now going to show Jimmy everything he could be out here in Los Angeles. And all those guys have better options staying at home. That was what the CBA was made for, was so that they could keep guys like Kemba in Charlotte. No matter what it did to those teams and really what kind of legacy it left for the player, if Kemba wants the security of that much money, he doesn't have to go anywhere. Yeah, and I I think it's interesting which teams will take the extreme route and go super bold. And I think it's also, to I'm curious, like which teams will go the complete opposite direction and see that the market advantage is actually to wait a year. Mm -hmm. Pretty much Atlanta is the only team that's outright saying that we're willing to punt our cap space like we're gonna rent this out and just roll it forward. Yes. Just give us your assets. We're we're basically a trash dump for your bad contracts. I do wonder which teams will go that route, and I wonder which teams will pursue the restricted free agent markets. If if D'Angelo Russell is out in Brooklyn, he's probably already get, like getting a sense of the landscape and putting out feelers that like, hey, I'm actually probably going to sign somewhere else, which is why we saw pretty recently reports of like interest from the Pacers and interest from the Jazz. Yeah, the mid-tier guys. He's like the the prized possession of or the Orlando, Indiana squads. I am really curious to see what the team is that we're not talking about come crazy out of nowhere. I want to know who Mark Cuban is going to offer like a max offer sheet to on the first night of free agency just to get in the mix. I want to know who is sitting there being like, we're going to make our Maasai deal. We're going to go, like we talked about in the video, but like Portland jumping in the Anthony Davis thing where it's just like, we got to do something here and let's make a move. Now, Portland doesn't, I don't know what the deal is with their ownership situation right now, so I don't even know what Olshay can do there. We've still got a situation where I don't think anybody is running the Wizards officially right now in terms of the basketball operations department. And we all know the fallout that's going to come for the Warriors after this season ends. And we don't know whether or not 
what what kind of ripple effects there could be within the Warriors camp itself after this Durant situation. Yeah, I, I mean, they're the big domino on the table. I think it's, but it is interesting, teams like Dallas. Like, we're all focused on the Warriors and some of these teams yeah. at the top. But Dallas quietly has has projected that this is their window. They've they've gotten rid of all of these future draft picks for the Knicks in order to bring in Kristaps Porzingis. And they have all of this cap space. And this is the prime example of what we were saying earlier. It's just that like there are so few guys worthy of a max slot, and yet so many teams going after him. Like, who is Dallas going to go after, especially if Durant is off the market and some of the Knicks and all those guys reach down and take the B-level guys? Well, if Dallas wasn't in the mix for those guys, are they reaching for the Goran Dragic of the world? Like, is the DeMarcus Cousins, yeah. if we're talking about the the Warriors, is a team like... Dallas going to go after mm-hmm. him and and max him out? I don't know. They're, like these are the ripple effects. Like and so while it is weird to say like a couple of days after Durant goes down to talk about free agency, but like this is how one player affects an entire league. Yeah, and I think that it just really awakens. I think now I've been so focused on the teams that are in the playoffs and the four or five teams that we know are going to be major players in free agency, whether or not it's because they have to re-sign their guys or they're going to go after guys. But now is the time of year when I start thinking about the Dallases and the Miamis. Traditionally active front offices who put themselves in positions. And even though Dallas strikes out almost every summer and winds up with like uh, DeAndre Jordan as like their big haul. I I just am always fascinated to see what would Pat Riley do here? What is like, what what teams are like, just like, we're going to do something wild because Masai changed the calculus of what you can do in one season. Yeah. So pretty much the magic. Yeah are going to be the next Raptors. Raptors. Can't wait. Uh, Kevin Clark can't wait either. Uh, Justin Verrier and I will be back next week. It's obviously a draft-heavy week, but there could be some trades and stuff. So Verrier and I will definitely be back next week. And then you can check out our video about the ripple effects of Kevin Durant's injury on free agency on the ringer.com and on the Ringer's YouTube page. I think it's youtube.com slash ringer. Um, check out Gons and KOC after game six from Oakland. And uh, some draft stuff we'll have for you on Friday on the podcast feed. So thanks for listening to the Ringer NBA show for Justin. This is Chris Ryan. Basketball is very good. Basketball is very good.